Come on, let's welcome the chapel in Richmond, Scott's Edition. Love you guys. Thank you so much. You can be seated. Well, we're starting a brand new teaching series. I'll tell you a little bit about that in just a second. But I always love to look in the camera at the back of the room and say good morning to the chapel in Richmond. Had an incredible men's breakfast there in the city and here in Midlothian uh, yesterday. Love what God's doing in the heart of the city. And of course, the men and women of Chesterfield County Jail and Virginia Department of Corrections. You're not a project to us. You're our people. We're glad you're here today. And uh, like you heard today is step one of the growth track. So if you are new here today and been looking for ways to get connected and meet people right after after the 11:15 service lunch child care awesome chance to connect together and then last infomercial is this first wednesday pastor brian briggs one of uh, our good friends from destination church is going to bring a message we got choir we got both locations 7 p.m so you're not going to want to miss uh first wednesday how many have ever been to a first wednesday come on raise your hand first one something special about worshiping at night together worship's a little longer teachings a little deeper so you don't want to miss um first wednesday there we're going to give a exciting building update and all that will happen um uh this uh this wednesday night well today we're launching a brand new series called the beatitudes come on called the what the be attitude and it really is uh eight statements that jesus made about countercultural living that can help us how many know uh, we don't have to accommodate to a culture we can speak to our culture right and Jesus gave us some kingdom principles. He said we don't have to uh, uh, kind of float along and do things the culture's way, but that we're to shine like lights, he said in that Sermon on the Mount. In fact, several times in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, where this famous Sermon on the Mount occurs, it says, you, you know, these people do it this way, but not so you. The religious people pray this way, but not so you. The world around you worries about this, but not so you. And Jesus is telling us we we weren't made to blend in. We were made to stand out and speak the life and light of Jesus in our world, right? Am I in the right room? I know it's overcast today, but hope I'm in the right room. And uh, and Jesus kind of tells us to be who he's called us to be and to do what he's called us to do. And so we're going to spend this month looking right through these. We'll pick up the first two today. And uh, let me kind of give you the setting. The crowds are pushing in around Jesus. And he looks around at them and he realizes is they need some teaching they need some direction they need some guidance and the bible says now when jesus now when jesus saw the crowds he went up on a mountainside and he sat down this was a custom for ancient rabbis they'd oftentimes sit when they taught and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them and he uses this word over and over again blessed in fact in all of the eight beatitude statements it begins with this word blessed right blessed 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 how many want to be blessed <laughs> they're like i don't want the opposite of that i want that and some commentators think it should be translated happy and there's some debate over exactly what the word blessed means but i like the word blessed more than happy how many know happy is sometimes dependent upon our circumstances right in fact the latin word happiness has to do with happenings right the circumstances around us i don't know about you but i think we need more than just good circumstances to find joy 
You will have good circumstances in life and you will have bad circumstances in life. But if we haven't learned to attach our joy to something beyond our circumstances, we'll be up, down, and all around. How many know what I'm talking about, right? And so Jesus gives us these, these uh, foundational principles, these blessings, and he kind of starts it in a strange way. Blessed are you when you're poor in spirit. Now, whoever thought that that was a blessing? You want to be really blessed? You need to have nothing. <laughs> but he says, poor in spirit. He's actually going to teach us, catch this, that if we don't realize how little we have and how much we need God, nothing else matters. I hope I've come to the church today that believes it's not what we bring to God, it's what God brings to us. And he says, if you all think you have it all together, then you'll never, you'll never get anywhere. But Jesus says, you're actually poor in spirit. And those are the kind of people that experience the kingdom of heaven. So that's the first one we'll deal to, with today. And then we'll deal with this encouraging one too. Blessed are those who mourn. Aren't you glad you came to church today? For they will be comforted. How many think we got to teach the whole Bible? Come on, right? Like, whole Bible. And it's interesting, all eight of these Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 1 to 11, all start with this word blessed. Blessed, blessed, blessed. And if you look at it, these statements reveal where true happiness is found. So Jesus is speaking to people that are searching everywhere, looking for happiness. I don't know about you, but I think our world is searching everywhere for happiness. And particularly this month, our culture is saying the answer to happiness is you to just do however you feel. You're to just pursue that. But how many know uh, God has a plan and purpose for our life, right? And he says you've got to attach your calling, your identity, your purpose to something just beyond yourself, to what I have for you. And so he calls to them to statements that will reveal where real happiness is. So he says blessed. And then at eight times, this is kind of the, the pattern of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the, and then he'll say it, for they will, blah, blah, blah. It's his way eight times of, of literally telling us this, that God has potential for us. That if we'll do things God's way, God will lead us into more things. That God has more than just the average life, the ordinary life, the meandering life, and he's called us to more. So let's dive in today. I'm starting us off first Sunday of June. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? I remember leaving for Bible college really poor, okay? And I remember I didn't have a car, and my grandmother gave me her Dodge Caravan. Anybody remember the maroon Dodge Caravan with the wood panel? Come on, somebody. Who are, can I get a wood panel witness in this room? You remember that? And I drove that van for four years. In fact, my grandmother's told me, if I knew that van was going to last so long, I wouldn't have given it away. So she... Thanks, Graham. You know, I thought this thing was dying, so you could have it. And I figured out as a poor college student that everybody, when I went, went to Walmart, wanted a ride to Walmart. And so I, I invented Uber before there was an Uber. I said, well, it's five bucks. I, and I would load up that van, eight, nine, ten people in the van. I'm telling you, five bucks. I'd be making 60, 70 bucks a trip up and down from Walmart. Come on, somebody, right? I remember when, when you're poor, you do anything. I remember when the power uh, window <laughs> broke in the passenger window, and it was like $400 to fix that thing. And I took some silver uh, electrical tape, duct tape, and I, I taped it up there. And Katie, newly married, would ride in the passenger seat, just all taped windows. She said, can we get this fixed? I said, no, baby, you look so good near that duct tape window. You know what I mean? 
There's nothing fun about being poor, is there? And uh, so Jesus starts it off with an interesting phrase, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And here's what he's telling us. There's two words in Greek for poor. One is to not quite have enough. And the other is to have nothing. <laughs> and the word that Jesus deliberately uses in Greek in this verse is to have nothing. So I don't want to discourage us today, but I want to make sure we understand this. In what we bring to our relationship with God to earn his favor, we have nothing. We are poor. You say, well, pastor, no, I've done some good things in life. I, I, I gave money to somebody at a stoplight. I, you know, I, I, I opened the door for somebody. Okay, well, let me tell you what the Bible says about all the good things we've done. It says all your righteous acts are like what? Come on, filthy so how many know even the good things we do we sometimes do for us right for somebody to notice us or because it makes us feel good and jesus is teaching us something you could almost summarize it this way blessed is the person who realizes they're completely destitute they're utterly helpless the one who realizes their absolute need for god that's what jesus is saying catch this that you can't be blessed until you realize you're absolutely poor you're completely helpless and you really need God, okay? I know this is heavy, but it's, it's the only way to get into a relationship with God. You see, some people think that salvation is a goal to be achieved, but it's not. It's a gift to be received. Salvation is not a goal to be achieved. It's not that we, we win the race so we get the ribbon, we come in first place, we've somehow done enough good things that God loves us. It's not, it's, not a, it's not something to be achieved. It's a gift to be received by God's grace. In fact, Jesus once corrected a church that thought they had it all together. In Revelation chapter 3, he said, I know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. This is pretty strong language. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Why? Here's the attitude he said they have. I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. Look at this attitude. I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Aren't you glad you came to church? No one puts that on a shirt. You know what I mean? Here's what Jesus is saying. Because you think you have it all, there's no room in your life for me. It's not until you know that you don't have it all that I can come in. Or as one older pastor used to tell me years ago, he said, when you preach, Brandon, make sure you know this. You got to get them lost before you get them saved. <laughs> How many know that's true, right? Jesus died for your sins. I didn't sin that much. That doesn't sound that good. You no, know, you, the only people who don't believe in a sin nature are people who have never had a child. Come on. How many know toddlers will cure you of thinking the human race is basically good? No, they are not. The reason our little kids aren't in jail is just because we're stronger than them. That's the only reason. Mine. No, 
me. That's the selfishness built into our human soul. But I have great news this weekend. In our poor need, God has a salvation supply. In our poor need, God has a salvation supply. How many are grateful that we're saved by grace through faith, right? This is not good advice to improve our life. This is good news that God has come to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's what salvation is. It's God rescuing us from our sins. It's God completely saving us by his own grace and kindness. And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you these things that will totally transform your life. But if you don't get this first thing, if you don't get this most important thing, then until you know you aren't good enough in and of yourself, you'll never really understand all that God has come to us to do for us in Christ, right? Uh, imagine you're in a hot air balloon and somebody says, there's a parachute here. You say, oh, that's good. But that parachute doesn't mean anything until somebody says, guess what? This balloon's going down. How many know you're more thankful for the parachute, right? You got to recognize your need. You got to recognize what God has for you. And that's what Jesus is saying. Before he even embarks into all these beatitudes, he says, I'm telling you, until you really understand the spiritual poverty of your soul, until you understand that you can't earn a right relationship with God, until you understand that there's nothing in your hands you bring simply to the cross you cling, right? That's the only way you can have a relationship with God. It's by grace, through faith. It's through the kindness of God, not of our own works. That's why we can gather here today fully sure that we're going to heaven and yet in real humility because it's not of ourselves. It's the grace of God. It's the kindness of God. It's the goodness of God that, that the Lord has for us. And that's what, that's what Jesus is saying. In fact, it's foundational. And that's why we start with that, with the Beatitudes, because if you don't get this first one right, then you can't move on to anything else. It's all by God's goodness. Come on, turn to the person next to you and tell them it's all by grace. Come on, tell them that it's all by grace. All by God's kindness, his goodness, his mercy, his gentleness. Uh, all by God's grace. Not only do we learn from this first one that in our poor need, God has a salvation supply. In the second thing Jesus tells us is that in our time of mourning, M-O-U, mourning, in our time of sorrow, that God is a God of comfort. Look at Jesus' words here. But blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The longer I pastor, the more I realize that everybody's going through something. We walk into these rooms and no, we think oh, it's only me. But how many know all? How many have gone through a trial? At least one in 2023, just this year. Come on, raise your hand. Just one. Like, like here's the truth: there are hidden trials in all of our lives, hidden difficulties. Somebody said, "Always speak to the heart that's heavy, and you'll always have a congregation." Right. Jesus talks to us today. Maybe you're here today and you're walking through a hard time, and and Jesus says, "Listen, in your difficulty in your pain there's happiness and joy you could sort of translate it this way there's happiness even in difficult days because we experience the provision the purpose and the presence of God even in our difficult days <laughs> this is the kind of Sunday where I think to myself man I wish I was the kind of preacher that skipped some verses in the Bible <laughs> like I wish we started with beatitude number three you know 
like I was, <laughs> Katie said, what's the message this week? I said, it's about sorrow and difficulty. And she was like, all right, I'm, I'm going out of town. You know what I mean? Like, because here's the verses we like. We like these kind of verses. Hebrews 11, the, the writer says, and what more shall we say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith say this word conquered. Come on, say it with me conquered oh we love that don't we and they administered justice and they gained what was promised look at this and shut the mouths of lions you know we got the shirt lion mouth shutter you know I mean, we got it all, right? Quench the fury of flames, escape the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle, routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead to life again. Woo-hoo. Sign me up for that small group, right? How many are thankful that God does deliver, right? Let me show you the next verse. Can I? <laughs> there were others. Uh-oh. I want to be, I don't want to be on the others. <laughs> I'm going to be in the lion mouth, shudder, deliverer. No, no, no. There were others, the Bible says, a people of faith who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. And some faced jeers and flogging, chains and imprisonments, and they were put to death by stoning. They were sought in two. I'm starting a small group for people that have been sought in two. They're killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute and persecuted and mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and the holes in the ground. For real? Let me ask you a question this morning, Chapel. Which group was in the will of God? The lion mouth shutting faith people? Or the sought in two people? How many know both were in the will of God? How many know there are times God delivers us and there are times God has us walk through things, right? And I think this is why we, we miss this because sometimes we think in our life that pain's, pain always means something wrong. But how many know God sometimes works in pain in our life? You believe that today? I know this is tough, but scripture has terrible verses like this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Woo! Lost my job. Yeah, this is going to give God a chance to show himself faithful. I have a little surgery coming up. Woohoo! I can't wait. I'm going to have pain during surgery and then three months of negotiating bills after. Come on, somebody. I got, I, I listen, here, here's the point. These are verses that, but here's what we, here's why, because we tend to think God can only work in the great moments of life. But how many know he also works in the challenging moments of life, right? He works in the up and he works in the down. He's still God on the mountain, but he's still God in the valley, right? He's, he's God when he's shutting the mouths of lions and he's God when he's allowing his people to hide away in caves, unsure. And here's why we don't believe this because we don't want to say this, but it's true. We think we know what's best. <laughs> don't you think you know what's, if I was God, I would, if I was God, you know what I would do? I would let June Sundays be sunny and not overcast. If I, if I was God, the, the hot light would always be on at Krispy Kreme if I was God. 
Yeah, that too. Always. If an ice cream machine would always work at McDonald's. Even the Lord can't do that. And uh, By the way, I'm just convinced they don't want to turn it on. They're like, nope, it's broke. I'm like, I don't believe you. I want to come in and see that. And uh, we think we know what's best. We think we know. And God warns us against this kind of attitude. This plan of mine is not what you work out. Neither. Look at this. Look what God says. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Guess what? This is a radical theological truth. There is a God and we are not him. <laughs> that will cure almost anything that ails you in life. There is a God and you are not him. Just turn to the person next to you and tell them you are not God. Come on, in the lobby, Scott's edition, turn to the other person and say, you either. Come on, you either. For God says, not only are my thoughts not your thoughts, but you got to know this. As high as the heavens are higher than the earth, that's how high my ways are than your ways. And my thoughts are so much higher than your thoughts. And so there is a God. He's really smart and he knows what he's doing. <laughs> there is a God. He's really smart and he knows what he's doing. There is a God and he's really smart and he knows what he's doing. My son got lost the other day and I said to him, I gave you the address you put it in the map, and he said, I did, but the map was taking me the wrong way. No, it wasn't. You need to trust that map, not you. There is a God, and you are not him. Let me just show you a couple principles as we're walking through mourning. Maybe you're walking through loss, pain our family is in this season, where Paul the apostle tells us what to do when you're facing pain. What do you do when you're facing pain? What do you do on a bad day? Is God ever at work in the in the dark rooms of life? Anybody remember the old school film that they took in the dark room? Anybody remember that? And they did what was developed in the dark. Here's what I'm saying. What do you do on your worst day? Where do you turn? I'm not saying God brings the worst day, but I do believe he's developing some things in us even in the bad days of life. How many know it was the worst day of Jesus' life that brought us salvation, right? God is in the business of working. And Paul actually says, I know what it's like because I lived under great, a great deal of pressure. In fact, the pressure was so big that it was beyond my ability to endure. I even despaired of life. Look how discouraged he was. Indeed, he felt he had received the sentence of death. He's like, I'm, I feel like I, I'm not even going to make it. He said, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He's delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope. How many know on him we have set our hope? That's what suffering lets us do. It lets us set our hope on him. That he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. That many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Let me give you real quick three things you do. What do you do in the middle of mourning? What do you do in the middle of sorrow? What do you do in the middle of loss? How do you, how do you get over? How do you process it? Paul tells us here's the first thing to do right here. He says I want you to refocus. Refocus not on just what's happening to you. I want you to refocus on what God's doing in you. <laughs> refocus on what's happening in me, not to me. How many know God uses, James 1, trials to shape us? God uses difficulty to shape us. God uses challenges to shape us, right? He uses resistance to build our spiritual muscles up. 
And the question is today, will we fight that or will we just surrender to that? We got to ask this question. My pain can either be a jail that imprisons me because I'm frustrated towards God or I can allow it to be a school that shapes me. And I think what Paul's saying is I'm going to refocus because God's doing some things in me and I'm going to trust him in this season to do some things in me. How many think God's worthy of trust, right? He says, I'm going to refocus not just on what's happening around me, but I'm going to refocus on what God's doing in me. God's doing some things on the inside of me, and I'm going to trust him. That it's not just what's happening around me, it's what's happening inside of me. And I'm telling you what happens when we get bitter or angry or frustrated with God, we don't understand his ways. If we're not careful, what starts to happen is we compound our sorrow because now we're not only walking through a trial, but we're angry and clinch-fisted towards God. Where are you and what are you doing and why why are you doing this right in fact you remember the story of job in the bible he loses everything and his wife says you know what you should do you should curse god and die that's a bad thing to say he's like i mean his friends come along and say it's all your fault you know you know why this happened paul or uh, job because you did it and so they just sat there for there's 30 chapters in the book of job of them telling him it's your fault you know how many could do without friends like that, right? And the danger is to think that we understand everything and we comprehend everything and instead to look at what God's doing on the inside of us rather than just what he's doing on the outside of us. And we need to remember this, Paul says, we need to remember that God always delivers. How many know God always delivers? Look at how he says it again. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. Because he has delivered us, he will deliver us. Because he has been faithful, he will be faithful. Because he has been steady, he will be steady. On him we have set our hope and he will continue to deliver us. It's helpful to be reminded that he will continue to deliver us. I don't know if you remember the old show 24. Where are the 24 people? Come on, you remember 24? I remember I got into it a few seasons too late, but uh, then I realized it was great because I could just watch the whole season, you know? Somebody gave me a box of DVDs on 24, and I remember thinking during one of the episodes, this is, by the way, if you're under 20, a DVD is like Netflix on a disc. And uh, I remember one episode thinking Jack Bauer's gonna die this time for sure. There's no way he is getting out of this one. And I kind of glanced over and I realized that there were two more seasons <laughs> sitting in this box of DVDs. And I pulled it out and his face was still on both seasons. And I thought, if he died, would they keep? I don't think he died because he's in all these episodes. How many know it changed the way I watched that one? Because <laughs> I had certainty of the future. Let me tell you on your worst day, the Bible peaks ahead on our worst day what it looks like and it becomes our best day and the bible actually says here's what the future looks like and i heard a loud voice from the throne of god saying now the dwelling of god is with men and he will live with them and they will be his people and god himself will be with them and he will be their god and he will wipe every and he will wipe every tear from their eyes 
and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain or country music for the old order of things has passed away. I'm here to tell you today, one day in eternity, all the, my kid's storybook Bible says, all the sad things come untrue. How many know the hope of our future is certain and settled and secure? It's in eternity forever with God. Scripture says at that moment, every tear, every pain, every difficulty completely wiped away. We can, we can reset on not only the hope we have and remember that God will deliver us. Here's the third thing he teaches us in this season, to rely on solid relationships. Come on, to rely on what? Solid relationships. Look at how he ends. This is amazing. He said, God's going to continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on, the, on, on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us through the prayers of many. Here's what he's saying. I got a group of people praying for me, checking in on me, and loving on me, and that's carrying me through. How many know one of God's instruments of comfort in our life is his people as comforters, right? He says, not only could God deliver me supernaturally, but he's using your prayers and your check-ins and your love your guidance and your grace. Man, I just paused today to give you a huge thanks. You know, uh, we're walking through as a family. Katie lost her dad uh, just a couple weeks ago. And y'all have been amazing. I mean, meals sent to the house and cards and check-ins. And <laughs> in fact, one of you called my wife this week and, or two weeks ago and said, I'm going to fly you to Florida with me just for a quick trip. And uh, so Katie's in Florida today, and I appreciate only buying one ticket. I'm still here. And uh, I'll hold it down. I'll hold it down. Pray for me, for my afflictions. And... How many know there's nothing like people who love on you and care for you, who text you and call? How many know there's nothing like a community of faith that just says you don't have to go through this alone, right? I was interviewing uh, someone, in our, someone in our church was interviewing me for a master's degree in theology just this week. And one of the questions was, what has the church changed since COVID, you know? And I had to remember, what's COVID? You know, I had to remember the whole thing. And, uh, and he said, well, you know, online or what, what isn't in person anymore? And I was reminded of something God spoke to me right in the season of COVID. You see, in the middle of COVID, everyone was saying everything in church was going virtual, never in person again. You know, a few people will come back, but everyone's just going to watch their church on their tablet. It's just the same, you know. But I was experiencing online church, and it didn't feel as good to me as everyone said. And I was reading Jeremiah the prophet where he said, redig the ancient wells, lay out the ancient paths. And so I actually said for this guy's paper, I said, I, COVID convinced me of in-person ministry even more. He said, what do you mean? I said, I just became convinced of in-person. I said, I remember doing church in an empty room and the band would say, praise the Lord. But you know, you're just kind of like, wow, really? I'd stand up and preach. I remember one, one Sunday, um, Y'all started to figure out when we were recording the services. I think it was 8 or 8.30 on Sunday mornings. And so people, I remember the first Sunday, seven people came without being getting approval. They just came. And we had seven people when I was preaching that Sunday. It was during, I was, man, it was like Easter. I was like, with every head bowed and every eye closed. If any of you have any... <laughs> 
I see that hand, you know, like. Remember more and more people, we, we actually didn't, weren't even sure when we started. Somebody said, when do we start service? I don't really know. People just started coming during the recording. And they, they just, and I was like, well, why, why, why don't you watch it at home? They were like, no. We had like 12, remember when we had this chairs clumped in little, like you'd sit three people here and then four here and six here. And, 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 and people were just like, this is the greatest thing ever. You want to know why? Because we need one another. How many know we were made for one another? We're made for community. We're made for connection. We're made for relationships. Paul says, God's going to deliver me, but he's going to do it by the prayers of many. And many will give thanks on behalf for the gracious favor granted to us in the prayers of many. Here's what happens in community. When God answers prayer, a whole community prayed and a whole community rejoices because they participate in the, in the, in the will of God and the plan of God and the delivering power of God in a community. And that's what we have today, you know. I was trying to figure out how to end this sermon, you know, because, all right, be poor in spirit. And when you cry, God's with you, you know, go home, you know. And I read through 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 11. I just said, if I had to summarize this in one phrase, I was really trying to work on it this week. Brandon, what would you, how would you say this whole thing in like one little way? And I felt like God gave me this. This little phrase, if I, this is my Brandon Samuel translation, okay? So don't write it down. It's not inspired in any way. All these verses, this is what I felt like God was just telling his people through Paul. It was just God saying, listen, I got this. I felt like God was just saying, I got this. Paul was saying we were despairing even of life. We were overwhelmed. We didn't know where to turn. But God said, I will deliver you. I will be with you. I'll be strong and steady in your life. I felt like God just wanted me to tell you today, I've got this. You say, I don't know how, Pastor. I've got this. I'm not sure when. I've got this. I, I, how would that? You don't know what I... I've got this. He's seen his people through things before. He showed himself strong and steady in their past. Probably even in your past, you have testimonies of the way he's seen you through. And won't he be faithful to do it in your today? not minimizing your suffering someone in this room just going through an awful lot but i'm saying god is in the middle of it all saying huddle in community connect in 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 the local church be be in community with each other rely on me realize what i'm doing on the inside of you and in the middle of it all remember i hold this whole universe this whole universe i remember in um in seminary one of my friends asked a professor what does God being in control mean? And I remember, the, I'll never forget the professor's words. He said, have you ever seen sunlight come through a window on a, on a morning? And you just get a beam of sunlight and you can actually see all the dust particles. He said, and if you like go like this in the air, all the dust, you know what I'm saying? He said, God knows every one of those little dust particles <laughs> and where they're going, where they are. And he can take care of you, right? Jesus said, no sparrow falls to the ground that I don't see it. I've got the hair on your head numbered. I've got your future ordained, the days ordained. Listen, we can trust God's got this. Would you bow with me all over this room? And in just a second, we're going to close with a half song. But before we do, you're here today and you're walking through struggle and God's saying, I've got this. God, be a God of grace. God, would you be a God of comfort? 
God, walk with your people as they're even today feeling heartache, feeling disappointment, feeling relational brokenness, feeling health challenges. God, whatever it is, your God is so faithful. Your God is so true. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So God, you be the comforter. You be the comforter. I told you the other week when Katie and I were newly married, I started using her grandmother's, uh, had knit these award-winning blankets that were won in fairs and stuff. And she, I remember Katie finally said to me, why do you use, why do you care to use these blankets so much? It was, they were the original weighted blanket. That's why years ago, I said, I don't know. The stitching just made them heavy on me. <laughs> and I just had that picture of a God as a comforter coming in to just bring you relief, bring you nearness, bring you grace in the moment. God, would you help us receive that today? Just the nearness of our God, the comfort of our King, the faithfulness of our Savior in every situation. For we give it to you in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said together, amen. Would you stand all over this room in Scott's edition? Would you stand just sing these simple words? It's your breath and our lungs. Before we sing, we pour out.